These days, there's a lot in the news about disease and dying. Maybe you even know someone with COVID-19. Well, in the midst of all the bad news, Trent Griffith has some good news. Jesus doesn't just have control, he has compassion. If Jesus was controlling but not compassionate, we would fear him, but we would never love him. If Jesus was just compassionate, but didn't have the power to control anything, he would be sympathetic toward us, but he couldn't do anything to change it. That's why Jesus is the perfect balance between compassion and controlling. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Well, good news is always welcome, but I think it's especially helpful when we're hearing a lot of difficult and even scary news. And that's what I'm hoping today's Resonate program will produce in you, a refreshing sense of hope. Last week, Pastor Trent started a brand new series in the Gospel of Luke. It's based on an important question that all of us need to wrestle with. The series is titled, Who Do You Say That I Am? Talking About Jesus. He took us to Luke chapter 7, where two different individuals are confronted by Jesus' perfect balance of control and compassion a powerful military man, and a grieving widow. We're going to listen to some of the highlights from last week about the centurion, and then Pastor Trent will conclude his message. Here's Trent Griffith. Here's the big idea of the message, very simple today. It's just this. Jesus is the perfect balance of compassion and control. Jesus is the perfect balance of compassion and control. So two stories, two points, one about control, one about compassion. Story opens up in Luke 7, verse 1. He says this, After he finished all these sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. Now, This centurion was a man who had 100 men in his control. This guy was one of the most powerful men in the land at the time. How many of you this week had something happen to you outside of your control? All right, all the mothers, lift your hand. Mothers, lift your hand. Some of you say, I got four little things that are outside of my control. I've been trying to control them all week. I'm not doing a very good job. They're not getting with the program here. They do not understand that I'm the centurion in the family, right? Well, listen, this guy, the centurion, he, he had power and authority and control, but then when something happened to one of his men, maybe for the first time in his life, he realized whatever power he had, whatever control he had, it wasn't sufficient. Maybe for the first time in his life, he realized, I can't fix it. Are you there this morning? Or are you still living with the illusion that your power and your control is sufficient? Remember, we're trying to answer the question this morning, Who is Jesus? Who do you say I am? That's the answer that Jesus wants out of you. And here's the first way to answer the question. It's real simple. Jesus is in control. What do you think he had heard about Jesus? 
He had heard the things that we've previously read in the previous six chapters, that Jesus was healing people, Jesus was casting out demons, and apparently Jesus was, had more power and more control than even the centurion had. And for the first time in his life, because of the crisis he was facing, he invited Jesus into the crisis. What do you do when you're going through a crisis? Do you shake your fist at Jesus and say, if you loved me, you wouldn't have let this happen because if you're so in control, why is this stuff spinning out of control? Or do you allow God to use the crisis to get your attention to realize whatever control you have, it's not enough, and you need Jesus in the middle of the crisis? Notice what he says in verse 4. It says, and when they came to Jesus, they pled with him earnestly saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation and he is the one who built us this synagogue. So now we're learning a little bit more about this centurion here. We said he had some authority, he had some control, he had some power, but he used his power and authority for good. He used his economic power to actually construct a place where the word of God could be heard and disciples could be made. Some of you are using your economic power to do that around here. And so he threw in, he gave up, he opened his hands, and so he was a good man. And as a result of that, the, the Jewish people, this guy was a hero. They, they said, he loves us. He is worthy of Jesus' attention. Let's see if Jesus agreed. Look at verse 6. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurions sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Everybody see the word under in verse 6? Underline the word under in verse 6. What, what was going on here? Now, notice here, this guy didn't think he was worthy to have Jesus do anything for him. Now, I don't know about you, if I've got some measure of power or control, sometimes I can be deluded into thinking that I am worthy of more things than I actually am. This guy humbly said, I'm not worthy. As a matter of fact, he goes on and recognizes where he is in the organizational chart in God's kingdom here. Notice he says, I, I don't want you to come under my roof. What does that have to do with anything? Well, that was a cultural symbol. If you were a man in authority, you didn't come under the roof of somebody who ranked lower than you. That would have been a disgrace. And so this centurion recognized, I don't rank over Jesus. He has more control, more authority, and more power than I do. Therefore, don't come under my roof. Then he goes on in verse 7 and says this, Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed, for I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, notice here in verse 8 how he introduces himself to Jesus. 
He doesn't look at Jesus and say, hi, I'm the centurion that built the synagogue that you teach in. I'm a man in authority. That's not how he introduces himself. He doesn't identify himself as a man in authority. He identifies himself as a man under authority. He embraces the role of a servant, not one of a leader. He recognized he was under the authority of another. We don't know exactly who that was, but he embraced his role as a servant. And that's what every follower of Jesus does. No matter how much control, no matter how much power, no matter how much authority you have, you wake up every morning and you report for work and you say, I'm a man set under authority. And all of us have human authorities. It's interesting there that he says, I'm set. Who do you think set him under authority? He was recognizing God's prerogative in how he sets people in positions of leadership. And that's why if you really believe Jesus is in control, you can say this, I will trust Jesus is in control of my authorities. Now, how many of you right now are thinking of an authority? Just, just get in your mind the face of the person that most often tells you what to do. You got that person in your your mind? How many of you are happier now that I brought that person to your attention on a Sunday morning? It's Sunday. Why would I want to be thinking about them on a Sunday, right? And for most of us, you're probably thinking, if I could have that position, everything would be better. If I was the one telling people where to go and what to do. What I'm about to say will surprise many of you. It'll actually shock you. But when I was a teenager, I had a problem with authority. I know it's a shock. I know it's hard to believe. (laughs) Confessions of a pastor on Sunday morning, okay? But I've gotten over that, right? Uh, No, no, and neither have you. Uh, as As a matter of fact, the human condition is we don't like anybody telling us where to go, what to do, and how to do it. When I was a teenager, my youth pastor was trying to help me with my little issue with authority, and so he showed me a Bible verse. It's Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. Y'all listen over there. So Proverbs 21, verse 1 says this. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and as the streams of water, he turns it wherever he wants it to go. It's, it's, it's a picture of authority. The king is the picture of authority, right? And the king's heart is where? It's in the hand of the Lord. And the Lord has no problem changing the heart of the king. It's like when you go out and water your, your flowers, you know, in July, sometime when it gets above 60 degrees around here in Michigan, and uh, you're, you're watering your flower. You got the garden hose, right? And you're watering this flower over here, and pretty soon it's had enough to drink, and then it's time to water that one. So what do you do? You, you water this one. Is that hard for you? Is, is this action hard? No. In the same way, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and as the streams of water, he turns it wherever he wants it to go. 
if you really believe Jesus is in control, you can submit to human authorities, no matter how flawed they are. Our problem is we want to maintain control. And we really don't believe in every moment of the day that Jesus is in control. But I can trust Jesus is in control of my authorities if I really believe Jesus is in total control. And then this, if you really believe Jesus is in control, I will not worry when things are out of my control. Are you a control freak? Is your husband a control freak? I'll put it that way. Is your wife a control freak? Are your children control freaks? Are you, are you a control freak? Listen, if every time something breaks or everything gets off schedule or people don't show up on time or it costs more than it was supposed to cost, if you freak out and spin into anxiety, fear, and worry, you really believe Jesus is in control? I mean, come on. This was the first time maybe in this centurion's life that something happened outside of his control. And what did he do? Did he freak out? Or did he go to Jesus and invite him into the crisis? He knew where to go when things were spinning out of his control. And the same is true for us. Whenever you lose control, and it happens for all of us. As a matter of fact, we all live with the illusion of control until something breaks, until you get old and you lose your mind or you lose your strength or you lose your purchasing power or you lose your job or you lose the relationship that meant so much to you. When things slip out of your control, that's the moment that whether or not you believe Jesus is in control gets tested. And if you invite Jesus into the situation like the centurion, it speaks well of you. Here's the last thing. If you believe Jesus is in control, you can say this, I will demonstrate my faith by yielding control to Jesus. Notice how the story ends in verse nine. Jesus heard these things. Remember the guy had just said, I'm a man set under authority. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel... Have I found such great faith? And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. And so Jesus heals him. Jesus does something to reverse the crisis. And the guy is identified as a man of faith. Now notice the connection that Jesus makes between the guy's faith and the relinquishing of control. The Christian life is all about giving up control. And you can only do that if you truly believe Jesus is who he said he is. If you have a control problem, you have a faith problem. And the demonstration of your faith is giving control to Jesus. That's what this guy who had much power, much control did. He gave control to Jesus. How about you? You really believe Jesus is who he said he is? 
Do you really believe Jesus is in control? If so, we'll use our power for good. We'll relinquish control to Jesus. Now, there's one more thing. Here we said that we're learning the answer to the question, who do you say I am? I say that you are the one who has control and compassion. Jesus is the perfect balance between compassion and control. So we have another story here. Picks up right in verse 11. The first story was about a a man who had great power. The second story is about a woman who had great pain. Verse 11. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. All right, you get the picture? As Jesus is coming into town, there is a dead man going out of town. Jesus runs right into the funeral procession. And when he did, he realizes what's going on. It says, this man who had died was the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Now, again, you have to remember first century culture here Women were despised. And yet notice what the writers of Scripture, Luke, and Jesus himself does in response to women. They elevate them. Luke, as he's recording the story, he doesn't just stop with the story of a powerful man. He goes right into the story of a woman that Jesus meets in her pain. And he wants us to know something about how Jesus responds to women. Now, not only was she a woman, but it tells us she was a widow. She had lost her husband. This was not the first funeral she had attended. And I wonder about the people that are gathered here. I'm sure that in this room, there are some widows that have had to go to the grave and bury their husbands. And Jesus wants you to know, he sees it, he knows that pain, he has compassion for widows. Some of you have lost a husband not by death, but by divorce. Some of you have lost a husband just because he's become very distant and you feel like a widow. And so even in that painful situation, Jesus moves toward this woman. Now, not only was she a woman, not only was she a widow, but what we learn here is now she is childless. Her only son. How many of you are the only son of your mother? Raise your hands. How many of you are the favorite son of your mother? Okay, if you, that's only because you're the only son of the mother. If you had competition, you and I both know he, she'd pick somebody else, right? I'm the only son. I'm the favorite son in my family, the only child. I'm the favorite child in, in my family. And this week, I learned uh, early this week, I, I got a call. My, my mom, 76 year old mom, getting out of the shower. She fell. She broke her leg. She lives alone. She's in the hospital. She's in rehab. I'm going there Wednesday. And my heart goes out to my mom and and she, she needs me to be there. Can you imagine if all of that had happened after she had buried me? That was the situation this woman was in. To lose a husband and then to lose the only other male that could provide for her. She was now in a, a very vulnerable position. 
And I, I just described some of the situations for some of the women in this room, and maybe you as a mom have had to bury a child. And you've gone through the grief and you've wondered, does Jesus even notice? And if Jesus is in control, why did he even let that happen in the first place? And you tell me about compassion. Jesus, what, do you even understand what I'm going through? Now, some of you have miscarried and not carried a child to term. Some of you would long to have a child and yet biologically God hasn't made it possible. And you have questions. Some of you have prodigal children who are spiritually dead and you've prayed for years for a spiritual resurrection that God would, would bring them back. Listen, what we learn from this story is Jesus has compassion for every one of those situations. The compassion of God is one of the most treasured attributes of God in the scripture. In the Old Testament, we have a book called Lamentations. It's a, it's a horrible book. It's just filled, of, filled with tragedy. And yet, right in the middle of it, we have some of the best verses in the Bible. This is what it says in Lamentations chapter 3. It says this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. You know what that verse teaches us? You see where it says, the Lord is my portion? In him will I put my hope? It teaches us we should never put our hope in another human being. Not a husband, not a child, not a parent, because none of them can do for us what we need done in our heart when we experience the tragic loss of something like this woman went through. So not only do we believe Jesus is in control, here's the second thing we need to learn. Jesus is compassionate. Notice again here in verse 13, when, he, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. So here's the first thing we learn. If you believe Jesus is compassionate, you don't ever have to weep alone. And then this, look at verse 14. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. What do you think he did? He arose. Verse 15, and the dead men sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. What do you think he said? I, I speculate, but I think he said something like, Jesus is in control. Je Jesus is compassionate. And Jesus, look at how tenderly Jesus intentionally gives him back to his mother. As if to say, you got a second chance. What are you going to do with him now? Don't you think she loved him more? Don't you think she, she treasured him more because she saw him as a gift from Jesus given specifically to her? Verse 16, fear seized them all. You think? I mean, last funeral you went to, if a guy raises up and starts to talk, I mean, I think they got over the fear and it says they, they glorified God saying a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people and this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and Granger and Elkhart and Mishawaka and South Bend and all surrounding countries and we're still talking about it because Jesus brought a dead man 
back to life, demonstrating Jesus doesn't just have control, he has compassion. If Jesus was controlling but not compassionate, we would fear him, but we would never love him. If Jesus was just compassionate but didn't have the power to control anything, he would be sympathetic toward us, but he couldn't do anything to change it. That's why Jesus is the perfect balance between compassion and control. And if you believe that, I can say I can trust Jesus' compassion and control over those I love. Some of you do have prodigal children and you've tried to control them and you've tried to force them back to God. And yet if you would relinquish control to Jesus, he does a much better job of bringing them back than we do. And then finally, if we really believe this, I will glorify Jesus as the God of compassion and control. Let me invite you to stand together. I want to give you an opportunity to respond in faith. Do you remember Jesus said this man's faith is so great in response to the way that he saw authority in his life? Would you just bow your head there for a moment? Can I ask you, who do you say Jesus is? Would you open your hand of control and surrender to him? Would you invite him into the crisis, the things that are spinning out of your control? And in spite of what your eyes may tell you and even maybe what your mind may tell you, would you establish by faith right now, God, you are good, Jesus. You see my pain. You are compassionate. You are my portion. In you, I put my hope. Just tell him that. Jesus, thank you for uh, revealing to us who you are. We don't have to guess. We don't have to speculate. Thank you for the written word of God that shows us so clearly how you act toward those who are in pain we should do with the power that we have. God, I pray for friends all across this room this week, they would demonstrate their faith by following you, believing who you say you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Jesus Christ, we see a perfect balance of his absolute authoritative control in his tender compassion. Now that's a beautiful savior that we can follow. Trent Griffith has been teaching from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. Well, this is a fitting weekend to be talking about Jesus' resurrection. It's really what Easter is all about. We're celebrating the fact that the grave could not hold Jesus and death didn't win. And because Jesus conquered death, we have the hope of resurrection someday to you. Well, are you planning to stream an Easter service this weekend? It was great to have thousands join us for our Good Friday service. And you're invited to our online Easter Sunday celebration. It'll be at 10 o'clock in the morning on Easter Sunday. You can join the live stream by going to mygospelcity.org live. Again, that's mygospelcity.org live. Or follow us on Facebook 
by searching for Gospel City Church. Well, have you ever doubted what you know to be true? That's something that happened to a guy in the Bible, a guy named John. Pastor Stephen Love will tell us more about it next week, right here on Resonate. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus. Have a great Easter weekend and try to get outside and breathe some fresh air today. My prayer is that God's word and his compassion would resonate in your heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.